Well, good morning. How's everybody this morning? Doing good? Uh, my name is Greg Pinkner, and if you're new to Fellowship Church, we certainly want to welcome you. Uh, I am the teaching pastor here at Fellowship. Uh, this summer, right now, we're studying the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible with you and you want to open it up to Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse 1 and following, that's what we're going to be looking at. Matthew 15, uh, verse 1 and following. Got a couple of groups to say uh, good morning to. Uh, this morning, our middle school students are joining us in worship. There they are, let's say hello to our middle schoolers. They will be with us through the whole summer. At least that was the plan. I uh, wanted to tell the middle school students that your leadership has betrayed you, that the first time you're here is me. Um, I can only assume you'll wanna go back to kids ministry after this. It's okay, you're gonna be fine. Uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, the second group of people that I wanna say uh, hello to is those of you who are gonna try to sneak out during the sermon to make it to the ball game. I, uh, you know, making Jesus mad before a game you wanna win is not a good call, but you know, live your life. Live your life. You don't have to fake a phone call. We get it. They'll be like, oh, it's, mm, uh, like just, we get it, okay? Enjoy. All right, so. Matthew 15. All right, this is a pivotal moment in the book of Matthew. Chapter 15 is. It's a pivotal moment in the book of Matthew because you're going to see a very strong shift in the book. So, where does this, why does this happen? What's going on in the book that makes, makes us, draws our attention to it? The first thing is, uh, for the, the most part in Matthew, Jesus has kind of been moving around a little bit. Uh, he's in Judea. He's, at, he's out in, uh, among the Jordan when he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's kind of all over the place. And uh, toward the middle of the book, he makes his way into Galilee. Now, if you aren't familiar with uh, Israel's geography at the time, there's a couple things I'd draw your attention to. The first thing is uh, Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. It's up by the Sea of Galilee. The whole region gets its name from that. Uh, it's northern part of Israel. Southern part is Judea. That's where the temple is. That's where Jerusalem is. That's where Nazareth, I mean, excuse me, Bethlehem is. Nazareth is way in the north in Galilee. It's, it's, right, it's a more Roman part of, of Israel. And so when Jesus is there, uh, he's interacting with Romans. He's interacting with uh, the Jews of the place. But in Matthew 15, at the end of this, this teaching this morning, he is going to leave Galilee. This passage is his last public teaching in Nazareth. And it's going to cause to put into motion the plan to kill him. Uh, and from this passage on, Jesus begins to head south toward Judea, toward Jerusalem for the events that will happen uh, during the, the Passion Week leading to the crucifixion. So this is kind of the last thing he's gonna say to Galilee. And in that starts the ball rolling toward what are the charges that will ultimately have him put to death because of. So this passage uh, starts out like this and there's two little things in here that we're gonna have to pay attention to because they set the whole part of the framework of uh, this passage. So in Matthew 15, verse one, it says, then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. 
So our first point out of this passage is to the middle schoolers, uh, especially the boys, who are gonna say, I don't have to wash my hands before I eat. Jesus didn't do it that way, and I wanna follow Jesus, Mom, in your face. So that's not what this passage says. It's a good try. Try it and see if it happens for you. Um, but there's a couple of things in here we'd really need to pay attention to. The first thing is this. Uh, it says, then the, the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, okay? So that is a critical moment in Jesus's life. Now, what does this mean? The first thing to understand is the Pharisees that we've been reading about, Jesus has been in conflict with the Pharisees for quite a while in the book. They've already accused him of breaking the Sabbath. They've accused him of teaching people wrong. Uh, he, all sorts of conflicts between Jesus and the Pharisees have already begun. And so more Pharisees show up, except these guys are from Jerusalem. Now, the way to think about the Pharisees and what was going on in Jesus's time during uh, his life is to think of the Pharisees as a religious and political movement. The Pharisees are a religious political party. That's the way to think of it. It's all tied up into one thing. So who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are the hardcore conservative party. They think the Bible is literally true in everything it teaches. They are hardcore proponents for following everything that the Bible says. They allow no laxity in how the rules are followed that's the Pharisees. The Sadducees are the political liberals, right? And theological liberals. They don't believe the Bible means everything it says. They don't believe in a literal hell. They don't believe that God really gave commandments. They think these are ways you're supposed to live your life in general. They control Jerusalem. So they control the temple where you have to make your sacrifices. They control the Sanhedrin, which is like the Jewish Congress. Uh, I don't know if you guys are getting these metaphors at all. I don't know how to do this. But anyway, there's a conservative section and a liberal section, and they all hate each other, right? Now, the, Fer the Sadducees are not gonna have a problem with Jesus because they're like, teach whatever you want, man. Live your life, right? But the Pharisees are going, this is all wrong. This is totally false. There are other political parties you don't read about as much. Uh, there's the Essenes. Uh, they are the... Uh, the crazy hippies, right? They're like on the beach going, let's have an experience with God, man. Let's write stuff down. Like, that's them. They're super into experiences and they're just like, whoa, right? And then there's the zealots whose political and religious ideas, let's kill everybody here and let God sort it out. That is their political, it's really, they're, they're, they're crazy people. Uh, so, Figure out which one you are. Uh, take, a, take a quiz on your phone. Which political party in ancient Israel am I? Um, but Jesus, of course, is gonna have more conflicts with the Pharisees. Why? Because they're the group that's saying the Bible actually means what it means. And so Jesus is coming around and going, it might not mean what you say it means, right? So they come, and here's what they say to him. Uh, the scribes, the Pharisees and scribes, scribes are professional, they're like PhDs in philosophy. That's the way to think about them. The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. 
Now, once again, another little thing we just read right through and not catch, but have to catch in order to understand this passage is that phrase, the tradition of the elders. Now, if you know anything about Judaism, you know that the centerpiece of Judaism is the law that is given to Moses on Mount Sinai after Israel leads Egypt, right? They leave Egypt, they wander in the desert, they come to Mount Sinai, God goes up on, uh, Moses goes up on a mountain, meets with God, and he comes back with these commandments and says, this is how God wants us to live. It's called the law. The law is how Israel is supposed to live under God. Ten Commandments are the best example of these, the ones you know the best, right? Uh, the Ten Commandments are a part of these, and the law is, is the centerpiece of everything what it means to be Jewish. So they're saying, you are breaking the law by not washing your hands, except there's no commandment that says you have to wash your hands before you eat. Again, middle schoolers, this is not going to help you. Don't make this argument. There's no religious command that says that. There's nothing in the law that says you have to wash your hands. Why then do the Pharisees argue that? Well, there became a problem because, for example, one of the Ten Commandments says you shall keep the Sabbath holy, and it means do not do any work on the Sabbath. Now, if you've ever tried to read the law, like tried to read the book of Leviticus and given up after three chapters, that's okay. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It means it is compellingly boring and redundant, okay? It's all the word of God. We all love it, but, you know, cliff notes, fine for the book of Leviticus because it literally says stuff like this. Uh, if you have a cloth that has a piece of mildew on it, first wash the cloth in hot water six times, and on the seventh time, you shall put salt in the water. And if the cloth comes out with the salt clinging to the garment, you must climb a mountain and tie it onto a tree to let the wind blow. And if a squirrel walks on this, you have to do it all over again. Like, it is crazy how completely like, you all want three threads versus six threads, but if there's a seventh thread, you must burn everyone who looked at it. Like, it's crazy redundant laws, crazy specific things uh, all through it. But even that was not enough for some things. For example, if I said you can't work on the Sabbath, you would have a good question and say, but what's work? What does work mean? We have to define what work means on the Sabbath because we don't, one guy says, I'm not working, I'm just fixing dinner. And another guy says, I'm not working, I'm just moving my sheep to another place. Well, who's right? What can you do? So the Pharisees or the, the early Jewish fathers got together and they started saying, you know what? We need to make this more clear. And they would make rules. They would say, okay, on the Sabbath, work is, okay, if you pick up something heavy and you put it above your shoulders, you've worked. But if it's below your shoulders, you haven't worked. So everybody was like, we've got to move all the shelves in our house. We're going to have to do a whole new thing, right? We're going to redecorate the kitchen. Uh, we've got to move all the shelves. And they would go through in this and everything. Uh, they would say, this is murder, this is not murder. This is this, and this is not this. On and on and on and on and on. And by the time Jesus comes up, they have a book of it about what the law really says. Because they were saying, you know what? We wanna make sure you don't break the commandment. So they built what they called the fence around the law. 
right? You don't want to break uh, the Sabbath law, so we better make sure you understand what the Sabbath law is, and that way you won't break it. And those recommendations had become a law unto themselves, okay? They are specifically called the traditions of the elders, okay? So what these guys have done is they have shown up and said to Jesus, you're breaking the law. You don't wash your hands before you eat. And Jesus is going to say, that's not the law. That is your traditions. That's the stuff you made up. And he does it in a ruthlessly effective way. This is what he says. And he answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So he's flipped it on them. They're saying, you are breaking the traditions of the elders. And he's saying, well, you are breaking the actual law of God for the sake of your traditions, which is worse. Me not breaking the law of God at all or you actually breaking the law of God. And he gives them an example. And he says, for God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Now, parents of middle school students, you can thank me for teaching this passage this morning when they're gonna be here. I, I will accept gifts, that's fine, thank you. Uh, What's he saying? Honor your father and mother. It's part of the Ten Commandments. You have to honor your father and your mother. Uh, and if you don't, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. That is where the term getting grounded came from. You are grounded, as in in it. I'm just kidding. That's not where it came from, but it should. So, uh, he says, if anyone uh, or whoever reviles their father and mother should die, and this is absolutely what they do. Uh, if a child has become uh, reviling of their father, they will be charged with a crime and they will be executed. Why? Because it's a commandment of God. It has to happen. Uh, but you say, Jesus says, and he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. He's saying, you are the ones who say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, uh, he need not honor his father. Now, this is very uh, specific to a Jewish custom called korban, koban. Uh, and probably you've read this in your Bible before, it'll say korban or koban. Uh, here's what it is. The best way to think about this practice is it's a tax shield. It's like a, a, uh, a tax haven uh, for young adult Jewish people. So here's what would happen. When a Jewish father gets old enough that he can't work the land anymore, most of the time he would then give the inheritance, the birthright, to the firstborn son. So the firstborn son gets two-thirds up to three-quarters, depending on the father, of the father's inheritance, and all of his other brothers get to split the last third or the last fourth, depending on the father. So the dad is still in charge of all the land, but now his firstborn son is, is dealing with it. What certain you know, uh, firstborn sons would do is they would go to a temple priest and they would say, I want to commit all of my inheritance to God. And the 
temple would say, great, thanks. Then the son would come back to the temple and say, here's 50 bucks. And they'll go, we'll sell you it all back. So that now the son is actually in charge of the land and the father has no place to live in it. He has no ability to deal with it. So they had made a tradition of the law. This is one of their little fences around the law that said, hey, you have to take care of your parents when they get older, but not really. Just give us 50 bucks and we'll take care of it for you. I mean, he's straight out called them out. He's gone, you have made rules that have nothing to do with godliness. They have everything to do with breaking an actual command. What are you even talking about? So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. And this is the conflict in the text. So for your traditions, you have made void God's actual words. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophecy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. It literally says, of nothing is their worship. It didn't matter at all. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Teaching as doctrines the commandment of men. So there's this healer up in Galilee who's doing miracles, but he's also telling people, uh, you don't have to follow this rule. You don't have to follow that rule. That wasn't really God's commandment. You don't have to follow any of this stuff. And the people in power come and say, well, go make sure that's actually what he's saying. And that's actually what he's saying. And they say, uh, literally in the book of John, they say, we have to kill him or the people will come and take our power from us. Right? And they are showing themselves to be a people who look religious but are not. A people who look religious but really aren't. And now the people are all around him, like this is a public teaching, and he called the people to him and said to them, this is in front of the Pharisees and the scribes, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Defiles, makes corrupt, makes worthless makes an enemy of God. It's not what goes into the mouth, it's what comes out of the mouth. Now, what does he mean? Well, probably the most famous part of the law is what's called the holiness code. Now, the holiness code is a different section of the law. And the holiness code is the way that God makes Israel live to make them. The word holy just means set apart. That's what the word means, to be set apart. And the holiness code is how God wanted Israel to live so that they would be different from the nations around them. And it's stuff like uh, you can't plant two crops in one field. Uh, you can't wear a fabric made of two different things. Uh, you can't, my favorite one is you cannot boil a baby goat in his mother's milk which is my favorite food, and I don't know why it was in there, but uh, 
But the food laws especially are big, right? We all know them, no bacon, no shrimp, right? Many of you are going, I will never be Jewish, right? Uh, Why are these rules in place? Because they have to follow the holiness code. They are supposed to be set apart. They are supposed to be set apart. And Jesus is saying to them, it is not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. Which seems kind of weird to say. And the disciples came to him, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. You see, what Jesus is fundamentally teaching and has been fundamentally teaching since he got here and in the Sermon on the Mount is that religion is not a matter of the external. It's about the internal. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount ends and people will come to me and say, Did we not do miracles in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. I don't know you at all. Why? Because all of those things are external realities, not internal. Religion is not a matter of the ritual, of the ritual and the external It is a matter of the moral and the internal. It's about your heart. It's not about rituals, and it's never been about rituals. But people love to turn their relationship with God into a ritual, right? Now, we're evangelical free church. We don't have a lot of rituals, right? Uh, We have two. Uh, We have the Lord's Supper and baptism, That's it. Those are the two rituals we do that the Lord prescribed. But we turn a thousand things into rituals, right? You see, on the day of judgment, there's gonna be a lot of surprise on the day of judgment. Uh, The first group that's gonna be really surprised are the group of people who see Jesus say to somebody, welcome my true and faithful servant. And they'll go, I would have sworn that dude was not a Christian. Are you kidding me? Because they couldn't see his heart right? The other group are going to be the people that go, Jesus wanted me here so badly. I don't know if you guys know this, but I did a quiet time every single day of my whole life. Every single day. Me and the one book I bought on quiet times, I read it 472 times. I know everything. I've been in the Bible every single morning in my whole life, and I'm sure that Paul will want to come and ask me a few questions about what it really meant, right? Our quiet time has become a ritual. It's not about the heart meeting God. It's about checklists. I I go to church two times a year. I raise my candle for a silent night, and I wear a really loud shirt on Easter Sunday. Jesus is pleased. Amen. I'll see you in heaven. Jesus calls that religion being whitewashed tombs clean and sparkly on the outside, dead, rotting corpse 
on the inside. External religion has never been what God's about, ever. In fact, it's always been about the internal. When he gives the Ten Commandments, he says things like honor your father and mother. There's a lot of things you have to do to do that. But the truth of the commandment is in your heart, right? Do not envy is one of the Ten Commandments. Don't lust after people's stuff or position or opportunities. That's not an external thing. It's an internal one. We see some of the Ten Commandments and think they're external and go, oh, that's easy to keep, right? Do not murder. You're all like, that's a good rule. That's a good rule, though it's not murder anybody. One of the ways I test people is I'll say, how many of you here have ever murdered someone? I won't do it because the middle schoolers all go, me, <laughs> right? But then Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mountain and says, if you've ever called someone a name in anger, you murdered them in your heart and you are guilty, right? If you have a brother or a sister, you are a serial killer, <laughs> right? If you game online, you've killed more people than anyone in the history of the world. Most of you drove here, killed three or four people on the way here. <laughs> Look at this idiot. <laughs> Having a form of godliness and denying its power. We love the external ritual because it sets the rules. We can know who's godly, who's not. Legalism is the name we give it. When we set up external things that are made to make people know, I'm the one who's in the crowd, you're not in the crowd. I'll set up the rules that you have to follow to be a Christian, and these are the rules that you have to follow, right? I used this example in the first service, and I heard a young adult laugh, go, no one's ever done that, right? Uh, oh, if you dance, you're, you're a sinner, so I hear some middle schoolers laughing right now. Anybody uh, old enough in here to be like, yep, that's what they told us. You can't dance. You're like, what? No, they never said that. 100% did. 100%. Christians don't dance. That's not in the Bible. There are literally pages where David strips down to his underwear and dances in front of the Lord. Once again, middle schoolers, this is not something to do. Uh, that's not in the Bible and it never was in the Bible, right? But the new religious legalism mocked the truth of what was in there out. Because what was really going on when you have people saying don't dance is they're going, this new rock and roll music's gonna destroy the culture. And you're saying... <laughs> So dumb. Yeah, yes, it was dumb, yes. I don't know if you've looked on Apple Music or Spotify's top 10 songs, but if you look at them now, every one of them will have explicit on them with lyrics you would not believe are in them. Right? And kids are singing along. Da, 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 da. Look at my video, I'm dancing. Because the holiness code of God is still true. It's still true. 
We are still called to be a moral, good people who do not celebrate evil things. That will never not be a commandment of God, ever. The rules we put around stuff to say, look, I am obeying God, I'm better than everybody else, I haven't danced, I only drink clear liquids, and I don't eat meat on Fridays, I am as godly as it gets, we're foolish. But so is the new legalism in another direction. Well, God said, you know, this love is love, uh, and everything's good, and if you don't love, then God says you don't love. So, love. Uh, No, that's not what God said. God's been very clear about the marriage bed. To say that's not really what he meant is the same thing these dudes are doing. Religion is a matter of the heart. Being right with God is a matter of the heart. It is not and has never been external. It is about a heart that devotes itself to God and says, what's wrong, I will stay away from. What you hate, I will hate. You ever heard that one? And what you love, I will love. And every one of us does it. Every single one of us puts little checklists on, I'm a Christian, this. And anyone who doesn't make my little checklist is probably not a good Christian like me. The only thing that makes you a Christian is Jesus our Lord. That's it. That's it. That's the total answer to that question. He says, but Peter says to us, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Clearly. Uh, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. James says, out of the overflow of of the heart, the mouth speaks. You ever say something? And then you go, that's not me. That's not who I am. I don't know where that came from. Wrong. That is who you are. You just took your guard down for a second. Wrong. That's who you really are. It's the truth of you. Now, do I mean to tell you Christians this morning, if you ever say something that's bad or wrong, you're clearly not a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that when those things come out of your mouth, they shouldn't be dismissed and go, that's not who I am. But instead going, what is in my heart that lets me say things like this, right? So let me confess so I can start for you guys. I will say anything to make someone laugh. I have no filter. Uh, And I know what it's about. Um, I... uh, You know, I'm like everybody. I want people to like me. That's not true either. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I gotta tell you guys a funny story. Uh, I was in a restaurant with my family a couple weeks ago and this uh, lady came up to me and she goes, and she had her whole family with her. She goes, my whole family's here today. We all go to fellowship and we talked about it and we decided I would come over here to talk to you because we knew you'd hate it. And I said, this is discipleship. This is the energy I'm looking for. 
Your children should rise up and call you blessed. No, I love talking to people in public. I do. I don't, if it's like, hey, are you good? Oh, things great. Yeah, and if you go, well, listen, Monday, I've got to go to the doctor because I got this spot in my life. I'm like, okay, stop. That's, uh, I don't, I'll pray for you. Just say, could you pray for me? I'll pray for you. Yeah, but if you're going, and then Tuesday, guess what? My sister Rose is coming in to plant a garden. Okay, stop. Just respect that part of it. Uh, but no, I want to be liked like anybody else. And I'll say anything to make people like, laugh. You know why? Uh, it's because I'm really introverted. And I've heard my whole life, uh, people come up to me going, are you mad at me? Fellow introverts are going, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I'm not mad at you. It's, it, it's worse. I've, I never think of you. Uh, I don't, no, it's, I'm not. Why would I be mad at someone I never, have never thought of? Uh, But I also know I can be off-putting sometimes because of my introversion. I get, you're so arrogant, you're so, and it, I am arrogant, it's true. Uh-huh. It's a sin, it's terrible. And so to make people more comfortable, I'll, I'll make them laugh. And I'll say whatever it takes to make them laugh. It's a horrible people-pleasing thing in me. That's where it's from. And when I say it, I go, you said something that's wrong, that offends God, so you could make this person feel at ease instead of figuring out what do you need to do to make this person feel at ease, right? That's the heart. That's the truth. But what comes out of your heart, this is what defiles you. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, a word there for sexual, immor- uh, sexual immorality is the word porneia, porn. It means anything that was against God's code of sexual ethics. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone because it's not about the external. It's not about making yourself look Christian. I'm gonna sing so good, I'm gonna put my hands up and close my eyes and sway super hard so people know I am into this song. God told Israel at one point, I detest your songs. I detest your worship. Because it was external. Now comes the interesting part. We've got 37 more minutes to go. So Jesus leaves, and he doesn't just leave Galilee. He's had this huge uh, slap up against the Pharisees from Jerusalem, and he leaves Galilee. And you're going, well, he's probably going south. He's gonna go to Judea, get the ball rolling. Wrong. He goes even more north into the land of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. I mean, the religious Jewish people detest Sumerians. They detest Canaanites, all of them. And that's where he goes. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Jewish people, when they walked in these areas, uh, you ever heard the phrase, shake the dust of your feet off? Uh, The religious Jews have been taught when you walk through the land of the Sumerians or the Canaanites, when you come back into Israel, before you step in Israel, shake off the dust from those pagan, horrible lands so that you can walk into Israel clean. Great. 
So he goes to the place where his disciples are gonna go. We hate these people. Why are we here? Uh, And behold, the Canaanite woman from that region came out and was saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. Uh, The Jewish religious tradition of the day was that because we're God's holy people, we do not talk to anyone who is a sinner. Does that sound familiar? That side's the sinners. I'm not even gonna talk to them. And I'm talking to both sides of the political spectrum this morning, by the way. They're canceled. They're demons. I won't even talk to them. And so Jesus doesn't talk to her. And you're not going, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus is the lover. He's the, what's he doing? He's testing his disciples who had just heard the leadership of Israel come and go, you're wrong. So he takes them straight into the worst place he can think of. And she starts screaming to Adam, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. So he turned to the woman and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know the disciples were like, word, like, boom, right? They're probably making TikTok videos over, like going, oh, look, what in her face. Uh, But she came up and knelt before him, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He calls her a dog. We never talk about this Jesus. We always talk about hacky sack playing hippie Jesus. She comes up and says, help me. And he goes, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Again, he's testing his disciples because once again, they're probably high-fiving in the back. Word, right? And she said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Because you know what makes you right with Jesus? It's not how you act. It's not where you're from. It's not about you performing for him. It's not about you saying, he has to let me in. I'm the most holy person I know. What makes you right with Jesus is just coming to him and saying, help me. Have mercy on me. That's it. It's a heart that says, it's you alone. That has always been since Abraham what made us right with God, amen? It is faith, trust. That faith and trust changes what we do so that what we do becomes a reflection of the heart, but don't mistake what we do with where our heart is because it is only the heart that says, have mercy on me, a sinner, that God says, you're in, you're in. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in God, we thank you that you have shown us what is true religion. That you have shown us that it is the heart that believes and is justified. 
God, I pray that you will remind us over and over again to set aside performance for reality. Performance exhausts you. Performance leaves you exhausted and with nothing else to give. But sitting at your feet and saying, Lord, help me, will always be answered. We praise you, Jesus, for grace and for the mercy of your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.